You are listening to a podcast produced by the New Zealand Centre for Political Research. Follow this and our other podcasts on nzcpr.com. Welcome to our podcast for the 2nd of October 2023, presented by Dr Muriel Newman. It is highly likely that Labour will suffer a historic defeat on the 14th of October. Voters will be sending politicians a very clear message that they were elected to serve the public, not dictate to them. It's a clear message all politicians should heed. But there is another political player that has been sent a message too, and that's the media. They are copying as much verbal abuse as the politicians, and for that, they have only themselves to blame. If journalists are to regain public trust, they need to put aside their left-wing bias and become reporters instead of political advocates. Here's Muriel Newman. As the election closes in, there appears to be an overwhelming mood for change. New Zealanders have had enough. The chickens are coming home to roost for Labour as disgruntled voters search for alternatives. Election campaigns can be noisy affairs, and this one is no different. Given the unprecedented manner in which Labour has suppressed free speech, crushed democratic rights and imposed their destructive agenda onto the country, no one should be surprised that some are venting their frustrations and anger directly at those who are seeking their vote. But is it really any worse than it's ever been? In the nine years I was in Parliament, and the four election campaigns I was involved in, shouting, yelling, heckling, pushing and shoving were all part of the rough and tumble of politics. It wasn't out of the ordinary to have to break through lines of protesters to get into an event, and I well remember giving one speech to an audience where the barrage from opponents was so loud that even I couldn't hear the speech. What seems to be different this time around is that the media are copying as much criticism as the politicians. And it's not hard to see why. When Jacinda Ardern was elected Leader of Labour just before the 2017 election, the gushing media coverage was so extreme it was given a name, Jacinda Mania. From that point on, any semblance of media impartiality was swept aside, exposing the strong political bias of mainstream journalists. That bias was revealed by journalists themselves in the World of Journalism Study 2.0, Journalists in Aotearoa, New Zealand, that was published last October by Massey University. In this third such survey undertaken by the Worlds of Journalism Study Group, which is a collaboration of academics from more than 120 countries, a snapshot was provided of the 1,600 journalists who work in print, digital and broadcast media in this country. Almost 60% of the workforce are women, 10% are Māori, and the profession is split between those in the younger 25-30 to 30 age group and the older 50-65 to 65 year olds. When it comes to political bias, the results are definitive. Journalists overwhelmingly identify as left-wing. 
The report says there are very few strongly right-wing journalists, but a substantial number of moderately or strongly left-wingers. The survey reveals 5% describe themselves as extreme left and 15% as hard left. Of the rest, 22% say they're left, 20% are mild left and 23% are middle left. 6% identify as middle right, 4% mild right and only 1% all up say they're right hard right or extreme right. In other words, 9 out of 10 New Zealand journalists are socialists. 1 in 3 are hardcore socialists. When it comes to ethics, the survey shows there's been a significant shift in attitude. The number who said they support their professional code of ethics dropped 28% since the last survey in 2015. And when it comes to the role of journalists, there is now a growing disconnect between what the public expects from the media and what journalists believe their role to be. The public wants journalists to report the news in an unbiased manner, presenting both sides of an argument on contentious issues. But that's no longer how most journalists see it. They regard educating the audience as their most important role, followed by counteracting disinformation. Some hardcore left-wing journalists thought their role included discrediting those with alternative views. The role that rose most sharply, albeit from a low level, was supporting government policy. In other words, a gulf has opened up between what the public expects from the media and what the media themselves believe their role to be. This is no doubt why the public are turning away from mainstream news channels. Making things worse is the fact that journalists overwhelmingly believe the Treaty of Waitangi should be a key part of their reporting. The survey says this. Asked to what extent did the treaty apply to what they wrote, almost a third, 31%, said it applied to everything. Another 43% said it applied to most things, such as any stories that involve legislation or policies, culture or society in which the treaty is referenced. A minority, 16%, thought it only related to some things, such as stories for Māori or about Māori issues, while 2% thought it had no relevance to journalism. It's no wonder the media are seen to be increasingly out of step with society, Former newspaper editor Carl Dufresne believes these developments are the consequence of the transfer of journalism training from the newsroom to the lecture room. He says, quote, Earlier generations of journalists learned on the job from other journalists. Many of my contemporaries came from working class backgrounds. They didn't go to university and were proud to regard journalism as a trade rather than a profession. The importance of neutrality, fairness and balance was drummed into them. They had no illusions of grandeur. But from the 1970s on, journalism was subjected to academic capture. Budding journalists were inculcated with a highly politicised vision of journalism's purpose. 
They were encouraged to acquire degrees that were often based on esoteric theories far removed from the simple, practical concerns of good journalism. Over time, that has had the fatal effect of creating a widening gap between journalists and the communities they claim to serve. Even more dangerously, it has led journalists to think they are wiser and smarter than the people who buy newspapers and watch the TV news, and even morally superior to them. As a Marxist American journalism put it, they climbed up the status ladder and became part of the elite. End quote. To make matters worse, many mainstream media organizations accepted handouts from Labour's $55 million public interest journalism fund and became echo chambers for government propaganda. That was especially the case with regards to promoting Labour's fraudulent treaty partnership claim that underpins the whole of their unmandated race-based hipurpur agenda. With tens of millions of dollars of additional taxpayers' money also poured into the media through government advertising and sponsorship, it's no wonder the public became worried the media had been bought off and could no longer be trusted as a reliable source of information. There have been standout pockets, of course, mainstream outlets where journalists continue to speak the truth and hold the government to account, but they are the exception. As a result, alternative media channels have emerged to fill the vacuum. As Carl says, people no longer look to our mainstream journalistic institutions to reflect the society they live in, Quote, the crucial nexus between media institutions and the communities they purport to serve has been strained to breaking point. In fact, the media often seems implacably opposed to the society they live in and determined to reshape it whether people want it or not. End quote. With journalists now advocating policies rather than merely reporting it, it's little wonder that they are being berated with the same contempt the public has for politicians. While thankfully the media love fest with Jacinda Ardern began to wane before she actually left Parliament, the impact of her incompetent leadership on our society has been devastating. More than anything, what Labour's time in office has taught us is that for our democracy to function properly, we need balanced journalism. And if anyone needs further explanation, look no further than Three Waters. Three Waters was the brainchild of local government minister Nanaya Mahuta and her Maori caucus colleagues. Their primary motivation was to pass control of fresh water to Maori, but to dress it up as necessary reform for the public good. If journalists had been doing their job of holding the government to account, the policy would have never withstood their scrutiny. Let me explain. Water supplies in New Zealand have traditionally been regulated by the Ministry of Health. Their annual water quality audit showed excellent results, as did the regular surveillance reports from the Institute of Environmental Science and Research, the ESR. But to create an imperative for reform on the scale Labour needed, a water quality crisis had to be created. Minister Mahuta did this by resurrecting a report that had been prepared for Helen Clark's Labour government in 2006. 
ESR scientist Andrew Ball had been contracted to provide information on the incidence of endemic waterborne gastrointestinal disease in New Zealand. While he found no real problem with water quality, quote, the size of most outbreaks is small, averaging nine cases per outbreak in 2000 to 2004, and is smaller than in any other countries for which data is available. There was insufficient local data to calculate the incidence of endemic disease. As a result, Dr Ball used UK statistics to estimate between 18,000 and 34,000 infections a year in New Zealand, but he qualified his findings with a disclaimer. The reliability of this method is questioned by the author. In other words, even he knew these estimates were not accurate. Unfazed, Minister Mahuta used that outdated report to claim the main reason for the Three Waters reforms was that, quote, at least 34,000 New Zealanders become ill from drinking tap water every year, end quote. We expose the Minister's claims as rubbish, knowing that if 34,000 people each year got sick from drinking tap water, we would all know about it because the issue would never be out of the news headlines. And the recent water contamination problems in Queenstown, where 20 or so people are reported to have become ill from drinking tap water, which dominated the news for days, has demonstrated what a huge lie the Minister's 34,000 claim has been. And the point is this. If the media had questioned the Minister about her ridiculous claim, Instead of regurgitating her lies, the whole senseless three-water scheme would have never got off the ground. Instead, billions of dollars will be utterly and completely wasted once the scheme is cancelled by the new government. The Ardern legacy is about to come to an end, and a new government will need to set about correcting a multitude of wrongs. But the media should also reflect on the status of its industry, and what it needs to do to restore public trust. The damage done is such that restoring their reputation will be no small task. Journalists need to go back to their role as neutral observers and reporters of the news, and with regard to contentious issues, they need to return to providing a balance of perspectives so that their audience has reliable information on which to make up their own mind. In particular, they need to recognise the dreadful division within our country that Labour and the media has created. In summary, we don't need the media to advocate political agendas. We have politicians for that. But what we do need is balance and truth in the news. Is that too much to ask? That's it for this week. Don't forget to visit www.nzcpr.com if you'd like to register for our free newsletter, take part in our poll or access a treasure chest of valuable information. See you soon. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by NZCPR Media.